0: The following message was given to the North Young Adult Group at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Mounds View, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Uh, thanks for having me. And I'll just begin with a little, oh, let me mention something. You're going to hear that beep every once in a while. Don't worry, nothing's going to explode. I guess they're doing some kind of repair work on the air conditioning and That particular uh, thermostat, so you'll hear a beep every once in a while. So, uh, so let me just begin by introducing myself. Uh, so, for those of you who don't know, my name is Brian Lichty, and I serve here as the pastor for care and counseling. I've been here for the past three years, and married to my lovely wife Casey. Uh, we've been married just shy of 22 years, and we have three boys. Uh, so, our oldest, Jonathan, is 18. He just graduated Moundsview High School. He's going to University of Saint Thomas in the fall. So any Tommies here or graduates of St. Thomas? No? All right. I know there's a few at Bethlehem. Apparently not here tonight. That's all right. Uh, and then I have a uh, 16-year-old who will be a junior at Mount Mountsview High School next year, and then a 12-year-old who will be a seventh grader at Chippewa Middle School. So, life with boys. Um, it's a lot of fun. We get to watch a lot of Marvel movies and play Ultimate Frisbee, and it's, it's, just, it's great, actually. So, uh, a few things you may not know about me, so I grew up in the '80s, which, in my opinion, is the best decade ever. Uh, so you had you know things like mitz tapes and acid wash jeans and, and get this uh, baseball card packs with bubblegum in them. They actually put bubblegum in them back in the days, and really great TV shows like uh, Night Rider. anybody ever heard of Night Rider there's one all right. Um, Or, um, like, Punky Brewster, A-Team. Anybody heard of A-Team? Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. Some A-Team So, um, you know, it was just pretty much the the perfect decade to be uh, growing up in. So, grew up in the 80s. Uh, You may also not know that I've lived in over five states, or actually five, not over five. All of them, here's a beep. Yep, it's going to annoy me. Um, So all Midwest states. So grew up in Indiana, went to college in Michigan, seminary in Kentucky, first pastorate in Ohio, second pastorate back in Indiana, and then have been here the last three years. So hopefully this is the last stop. We like it here. Um, Love the church, love the people, and love the area. And then one other thing uh, that you may not know about me is that unlike a lot of people, I don't like coffee. I've tried it, and tried it, and tried it, and I just don't like it. So instead, I found something far superior, and I want to highly recommend it to you. It's called Diet Sunkist. <laughs> it is. It's great. It has caffeine and no calories. It's great in the morning. Just, you know, throw out the coffee, grab a Diet Sunkist, and you'll, you'll be good to go. So introduction aside, um, I'm really... Uh, Thankful to be here. I'm not thankful for that beep. Um, (laughs) There's nothing I can do about it. Um, And thankful to be talking about what we're talking about. Uh, It's a topic that I know I've had to deal with, and we all deal with. And so how do we deal with it biblically? How do we deal with disappointments? That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. And so you should have a handout. looks like this. Um, Don't worry, it looks more intimidating than it actually is. But you'll want to grab that, maybe grab a pen. And um, we're just going to dive right in. So, you guys ready? All right. First thing I want to talk about uh, this evening is that because we live in a broken world, we should feel disappointed. Okay? We live in a broken world, and because of that, we actually should, at least at times, feel disappointed. And I think that makes a lot of sense, especially when we consider what disappointed, uh, disappointment is, And so there's actually a little definition there for you. It's a very simple definition. I pulled it together from a couple different um, dictionaries. So disappointment is a feeling of sadness or displeasure that we experience when our desires go unfulfilled. Disappointment is a feeling of sadness or displeasure that we experience when our desires go unfulfilled. So... If I really, really want my wife to compliment me on a new outfit that I get, and she doesn't, I'll feel disappointed, right? Or if I'm really excited to go to a Twins game with one of my friends, and he cancels at the last minute, I'll feel disappointed. Um, Or if I have maybe a family member um, who I'm really praying for because they have cancer, and I want them to be healed or get better, but they actually start getting worse, I'll feel disappointed. Right? Essentially any time that my desires or hopes or expectations are kind of denied or thwarted, um, I will feel disappointed. And so in a fallen and broken and sin-filled world, we actually have a lot of opportunities for disappointment, don't we? Um, So think about it. Um, Things aren't the way that God designed them. Uh, They aren't the way He intended them. Uh, Because of the fall, things don't work like they should. bodies fail. Uh, We get sick. Uh, We all eventually die. Uh, Not only that, but because of the fall, we sin against one another. So conflict happens, right? There's strain in our relationships at times. At times, we do really horrible things uh, to one another. So we live in a world where there are a lot of opportunities to be disappointed about what might have been or about things that we had or enjoyed for a time, and now they're gone. Uh, Again, wherever there's brokenness, there's opportunity for disappointment. And so uh, this is not just common uh, to us. It's even common to those uh, that we see in Scripture. And so that's what I want to show you next. I want to show you some examples of people who experienced disappointment. And the first one I want us to look at is Solomon. And this is from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon wrote, So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled, and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity." So according to this passage, uh, Solomon spent years, right, toiling, laboring under the sun, doing all this work, um, in a sense, kind of building a legacy. And now as he's kind of sitting back and reflecting all all this, he's thinking, it's just all a waste. You know, here I did all this work, and who knows what's going to happen with the next person who takes it up. Um, It's all kind of vanity and striving after the wind. So he feels like all the good he did, all the accomplishments he made, um, are kind of vaporating, uh, vaporizing right before him. So rather than his work, uh, you could say being a means of fulfillment and satisfaction, um, it's actually been a great source of disappointment. So this is one place where we see someone in the Bible, and, and Solomon was, you know, next to Jesus, the wisest person on the earth, right? And he was clearly disappointed. Um, But he's not the only one. Uh, Consider also the Apostle Paul. Um, Writing from prison and anticipating, actually, that he might be dying soon, um, he wrote these words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. He said, Do your best to come to me soon. For Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against him or against them. So look back at verse 9. You know, uh, Paul asked Timothy to visit him in prison. And I think the reason he does this is because he's feeling lonely. Uh, those who were his friends and his kind of co-laborers in the gospel were no longer there. Uh, some of them probably left for good reasons. You know, Titus was in Dalmatia, Crescens was in Galatia, but Damas just left the ministry. Seemingly, And he went to Thessalonica. And so really Luke was the only one who kind of remained at Paul's side. And I think that was a source of disappointment for him. Um, He talks about even language of being deserted, right, in this passage. So there was a sense of him feeling alone, even deserted. He also faced some pretty serious opposition. Uh, Verse 14 talks about how Alexander caused Paul great harm. We don't know much about their relationship. We don't know what happened. Um, But whatever it was, um, Paul wasn't too happy about it. He said, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. And then if that wasn't enough, feeling lonely, having opposition, he also talks about being unsupported during his first defense. And in all likelihood, this was some kind of of initial hearing or uh, kind of uh, portion of the trial that he was going to have Um, before the the authorities. And uh, apparently, he was alone for this. No one came to his side. So there were probably accusations, and allegations against him, but there were no witnesses to support him. There was no one uh, to speak up for him or to even assist him. So as you can imagine, I think each of those things were sources of disappointment for Paul. Uh, Feeling lonely, uh, the opposition... And then on top of that, just the lack of support. So Solomon experienced disappointment. Paul experienced disappointment. And there's a host of other people in Scripture who experienced disappointment. But one of them who actually may surprise you is Jesus. Uh, Believe it or not, Jesus himself experienced disappointment. For instance... We're not going to read it, but notice in that passage in John 11 how Jesus wept when he came to Lazarus's grave. Well, why did he do that, right? He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I think he did that uh, because he was, he was disappointed that his friend Lazarus had to die, that his, his friend had to suffer and go through that experience of pain and uh, kind of face the, the brokenness and the decay of this world. So that's, that's one example Uh, Another example I think happens in Luke 13, and here Jesus isn't just disappointed with kind of the realities of being in a broken world, he's actually disappointed with people, right? Notice what he says there, he says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So Jesus is disappointed uh, that they weren't following him, um, that they had rejected him. That's not what he wanted. Um, That's not what he had hoped for or desired. Uh, He wanted them to enjoy his love and his protection. So we went through those pretty quickly, but hopefully you can see those are just a few examples of kind of this reality of disappointment. Solomon experienced it. Paul experienced it. Jesus experienced it. Just like us, they had desires and hopes that were unfulfilled in the midst of this broken world. And so here's what I think this means for us. It's okay to be disappointed. It's, it's actually okay. In fact, it's, it's normal. It's a normal response to hardship, um, to dashed expectations, to loss, that we would start to get disappointed. Um, in fact, I'll even go one step further. It's not just okay and normal. It's actually right um, in many circumstances and situations to be disappointed. It's actually the right response. It's actually what we should do. Um, After all, if Jesus, the only person who never sinned, got disappointed at times, then so should we at times. So, I would just say whether you're experiencing pain or loss or affliction, it's okay to be disappointed about that and to express that and to take those disappointments to the Lord. And I would encourage you to do that. Um, So, When you experience loss, take time to grieve that loss. Um, Or if you're going through a really hard time, take time to lament to the Lord. Um, And just in general, uh, take time to to bring your heart, your disappointments, um, your dashed expectations to Him. Um, And again, we, we know we have a Savior who gets it, right? We have a Savior who Himself was disappointed. And so again... Because we live in a broken world, we too should feel disappointed. So that's the first thing I want to talk about. The second thing I want to talk about is uh, how our disappointment can become a problem. Our disappointment becomes a problem when we allow our good desires to become ruling desires. So um, to start with, let's just acknowledge that disappointment can become a problem. And let me give you some examples of this. And I'll actually use the same Um, illustrations I mentioned earlier. So, if the disappointment of my wife not complimenting me on that new outfit leads me to lash out at her or call her a horrible wife, that's a problem, right? That disappointment's gone too far. Um, Or, if the disappointment from my friend uh, canceling the the twins' invite at the uh, last moment, if that leads me to end the relationship or lash out at him, or retaliate, or do something like that, Uh, that that disappointment is a problem. Or, if the disappointment from my family member's declining health uh, leads me to shake my fist at God or accuse him of injustice, that disappointment has become a problem. So disappointment can be a good thing, is often a good thing, is often a good and right and appropriate and normal response, but it can go awry our disappointment can lead to problems. And and I would say, namely, our disappointment becomes a problem when it leads to sinful actions or speech or attitudes. To put it another way, our disappointment becomes a problem when we get overly disappointed, when we just kind of go down that path and stay on that path, and it just grows and grows and grows. Um, And I've provided a, a little graphic here that I think will be helpful to you. Um, And and notice at the beginning, there's kind of four stages here. And this graphic is, uh, just so you know this, it's kind of talking about uh, spiritually rooted depressions. um, But I think it serves our purpose as well, just in talking about uh, disappointment and over-disappointment. So notice stage one, it says disappointment. And the description is what we would expect. Confusion, sadness, grief, unfulfilled expectations. Um, And again, I would say at that point, Our disappointment is normal, it's healthy, it's often a godly response to what's happening. But, if we're not careful, that disappointment can kind of morph into over-disappointment. And that can take various forms. It can look like discontentment, it can look like despair, or it can look like destructiveness. So kind of, you know, any moving from one to two or three or four is really a movement from healthy disappointment to unhealthy, sinful over-disappointment. And and of course, uh, the graphic helps us. The reason we kind of go there is because something's happening in our heart. You see that little heart image there. Essentially, when we move from disappointment to over-disappointment, it's because we've allowed good desires to become ruling desires. Allow these, these good things to kind of take the throne of our heart. So again, just because it's fresh in your minds, think back to the examples I just gave. Um, it's not wrong for me to want affirmation from my wife when I get that new outfit, but I don't need that affirmation. and I shouldn't crave it, and I shouldn't want it so much to the point where it rules my heart, and then I lash out when I don't get it. That's a sign of me not just having a good desire for affirmation, That's a sign of me having a ruling desire, a sinful desire at that point. Um, Or, you know, it's okay for me to want my family member who has cancer to get better. Um, That's a normal desire. That's a godly desire. That's a good thing. Um, But if I allow that desire to rule my heart, if I just, I need them to get better, and they must get better, and I start demanding and expecting that from God, um, then that desire has become ruling it's become my chief desire. It's become, you could say, an idolatrous desire. So the reality is, God and God alone should rule my heart. He should always be sitting on the throne of my heart. Um, so loving Him, pleasing Him, serving Him, those should be my greatest priorities. Um, and other things, should, you know, can be in our hearts. They're things we want, things we desire, but they're not chief. They're not. On the throne. They don't rule us and consume us and kind of lead us in life. So again, when we move from healthy disappointment to sinful over-disappointment, it's because we've allowed good desires to become ruling desires. Essentially, we've taken something that we're right to regret the lack of into a God that we can't do without. And this, of course, is something that scripture warns us about, right? Scripture is very clear that we are to, for instance, Exodus 20, right? Have no other gods before me, the Lord says. Um, Or uh, Matthew 6, Jesus says, uh, store up your treasures in heaven, right? Not on earth, and seek first, not second, not third, not fourth. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all of his righteousness. And then, of course, uh, there's places like 1 John. Uh, where the apostle ends his epistle by saying, little children, keep yourselves from idols. So scripture has this priority on God should be the one who rules our hearts. God should be the one sitting on that throne. He should always be our chief desire. He should always be the one in the driver's seat. And I think this brings up a really important question. Um, How do we know when we've gone from healthy kind of disappointment, right, to over disappointment, uh, which is sinful. How do, we, how do we know when we've kind of moved down that graphic from one to another? How do we know if our good desires had become ruling desires? And uh, what I would encourage you to do, uh, to help you think through that, is to kind of examine your fruits. And I'm getting that language from Luke 6, so let's look at that passage. In Luke 6, Uh, Verses 43 to 45, Jesus said, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of this evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart His mouth speaks. So, in this passage, Jesus is making a comparison, right? Between people and trees. And just like trees, there's a sense in which we bear fruit in our lives. Uh, We bear fruit through our behavior and our speech and our attitudes. And according to Jesus, the type of fruit that a tree bears tells you something about the condition of that tree. So if you see a tree with a lot of good fruit on it, you know it's a pretty healthy tree, right? But If you see a tree with a lot of bad fruit on it, you know it's sick. You know there's a problem. There's, there's something going on inside that tree that's off. Um, and that's why Jesus says in verse 44, each tree is known by its fruits. So just by looking at the tree, just by looking at the fruit, you can tell something about what's going on the inside, what's happening with the condition of that tree. And of course, that analogy applies to us. The fruit in our lives, our behavior, our speech, our attitudes, they tell us something about the condition of us, of what's going on the inside of us, really of our hearts. That's what they tell us about. So the good and bad fruit in our lives reveals really whether God is leading and ruling our hearts or something else something else in its place. So, you know, when it comes to kind of discerning, am I at a place of disappointment or over disappointment? Is this at a place that's godly or sinful? I would just encourage you to examine your fruits. And so maybe it's questions like this. Is my disappointment marked by kind of mild discouragement or just absolute and utter hopelessness? Right? There's a there's a spectrum there, but On one end, you clearly know it's at a pretty healthy point. But if you're just hopeless, if you see no purpose in life, if if everything has lost value to you, that's that's a problem. There's something wrong there. There's something wrong in your heart. Um, Another question you could ask, am I I sad about what happens, maybe what my friend did to me, or have I now grown to be bitter? We know bitterness is a sin. You're holding a grudge, an offense against someone. So maybe they did something horrible. Maybe they were mean. Maybe they, um, it could be anything, right? Yeah, grieve that. Be sad about that. Uh, Maybe even um, righteous anger to a degree, right? But to to keep holding that long-term, to get to a place of bitterness, um, you know something's wrong um, on the inside just by looking at that fruit and seeing that. Another question you could ask, Um, You know, what about my prayers? What do those look like? Are are they filled with pleas for help and godly laments? Or am I now kind of shaking my fist at God? You know, am I now kind of accusing Him of injustice? You know, one's appropriate and godly and healthy. One's sinful. One's problematic. Um, So, again, you want to know, where am I at? Start with the fruit. Start with what you're seeing in your behaviors and your speech Um, and your attitudes. So if you want to discern your disappointment, if you want to see if your good desires have become ruling desires, examine your fruit. And then finally this evening, one more thing we're going to talk about. Let's talk about how we can fight against over-disappointment. So we've looked at disappointment being a good thing, something we should um, allow ourselves to experience, and we should express in godly ways but at times it can shift, right? At times we can kind of move down that graphic and we're at a place of over-disappointment and there's bad fruit. What do we do then? How do we fight against that? Um, Well, I would suggest that we can fight against over-disappointment through repentance, worship, and faith. And so let's look at each of those in turn. First, we can fight against over-disappointment through repentance. And that one's pretty straightforward. If you've been examining your fruits and you see there's bad fruit on the tree, maybe there's bitterness, maybe there's sinful anger, maybe there's just utter hopelessness, then repent of that. Um, In other words, grieve that sin and confess that sin and commit to the Lord that you plan to change. Um, Those are things you would want to communicate to Him. That's part of repentance. And, And when you do that, I would encourage you to not only kind of repent of the the bad fruit, but also what's at the root, what's going on in your heart, okay? So going back to my example from earlier, again, um, if I'm repenting from what happened with my wife and how I lashed out at her, it, it's it's good and it's right to say, Lord, forgive me for lashing out against my wife. But why not take it a step further? Why not say, Lord, forgive me for lashing out against my wife and for for thinking I needed her affirmation, for being driven more by trying to please her than trying to please you. Um, Lord, help me not just to lash out, but help me also with that fear of man. I want to fear you more than I do my wife. I don't need her approval. I don't need her affirmation. Help me to keep this at the level of desire, not demand. So you see the difference? Um, So when you repent... Uh, Look at your fruit, look at the root, and bring it all before the Lord. Confess it all. Ask for his forgiveness for all of it. And I want to encourage you that when you repent, uh, don't hesitate to receive God's grace. Um, I work with a lot of people who struggle with that. They're kind of good at the repentance part. I'm sorry, Lord, I shouldn't have done this, I want to change. But they struggle to kind of believe that, that God would forgive them. Or that God would actually give them grace and help them to change. The reality is he's eager to do those things. Um, God is eager to grant forgiving grace uh, that will pardon your sins and bring cleansing to your soul. Uh, We know that from places like 1 John 1, right? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Um, In other words, think about it this way. Jesus died for those times you get overly disappointed. He died for those times that you move from uh, disappointment to discontentment, or disappointment to despair, or disappointment to destructiveness. He paid for those things. Um, So receive his forgiving grace. Um, He died for every instance of discontentment, despair, and destructiveness in your life. Not only that, God is eager to grant you what I would call enabling grace. So yes, forgiving grace, pardon for your sins, but also enabling grace. Grace to um, help you do what you're supposed to do and be who you're supposed to be. Um, He has grace for that. That's why Hebrews 4.16 talks about God giving grace in our time of need. Uh, That's why 2 Corinthians 12 talks about God giving grace um, that's sufficient in times of weakness. In other words, he does give grace to forgive, but he also gives grace for you to change and to be more conformed into the image of Christ. So, when you repent, uh, yes, bring it all before the Lord, but be quick to receive His grace. He's he's eager to lavish His grace on you. He loves you. Um, he, He already paid the penalty. He already broke the power over that sin. So He has grace. He wants to pour out on you. And when you repent, make sure to grab hold of that grace. It's really important. So, First, fight against over-disappointment through repentance. Second, we can fight against over-disappointment through worship. And when I say worship here, I'm talking about kind of how we honor and glorify God in our hearts. So lots of ways we can do that. Um, we, we worship God, for instance, by loving him. Okay, that language is language of worship. So we, we set God first in our hearts. We're devoted to him above any other. We also worship God by fearing him, right? Having a sense of awe and reverence in light of who he is and his greatness and his goodness. And of course, we also worship God by delighting in him. And we talk about that a lot here at Bethlehem, which is a good thing. In other words, God isn't just our, our refuge or our salvation. He's also our, our joy. He's our treasure, right? Um, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So worship him by loving him, by fearing him, by delighting in him. And you may still be wondering, though, okay, but how does that actually help? How does worshiping him help actually kind of fend off over disappointment? Well, think about it. Over disappointment, in some ways, is ultimately a problem of worship, right? We've allowed those those good desires to become ruling desires. So we've started to kind of worship those things. So really, our over-disappointment happens um, because of of those ruling desires, uh, because of those idols in our heart. We've kind of worshipped our way, you could say, into over-disappointment. And so you want to get out of that, just go in verse. You worshipped your way into over-disappointment, now worship your way out. Um, And that means filling your hearts with a desire for God. Uh, Letting Him be your greatest hope and treasure, and joy. Um, Here's a a great quote on this. This is by Ken Sandy. He says, Our hearts are idle factories. They're always finding new things to love, have, and worship. Just trying harder isn't the answer. As Thomas Chalmers said, it requires the expulsive power of a new affection. The idea here is that we drive out a little love with a big love. That is, a growing love for God will force out the idols in our hearts. As God fills our hearts with a love for himself, we will no longer need to look to our idols for happiness or security. So in other words, you want to, really this is with any sin, you want to fight against sin, including sins involved in over-disappointment, don't just, you know, stop it, try harder, right? Don't just do behavior management. Go to the heart, you worship your way in, worship your way out. I'm going to set my heart on the Lord more. I'm going to meditate on his goodness. I'm going to sing praise to him. I'm going to count my blessings. Lots of ways you can do it. Um, So again, fight against over-disappointment by repentance. Also fight against over-disappointment by worship. So grow in your love for the Lord, your fear of him, and your delight of him. And then third and finally, we can fight against over-disappointment through faith. In other words, you want to fight against over disappointment, you need to have your mind renewed according to his truth, right? That's what it talks about in Romans 12. Or what it talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. We are called to walk by faith and not by sight. So we need to cling to and trust um, in the truths of who God is and what he's promised to us in Christ. And amazingly, the Apostle Paul actually modeled this really, really well And he actually did that in the passage that we looked at earlier. You see, earlier we looked at several verses, but I didn't show you the the rest of the passage. We looked at the verses where he expressed his disappointment, right? He was feeling alone, he felt unsupported, he talked about being deserted. But let's look at the passage again, and this time, look at how he responds, especially beginning in verse 17. So I'll, I'll read the whole thing, but look especially at 17. Paul wrote, Do your best to come to me soon, for Damas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me in ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left for Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. And then here we go with verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message that might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So you see see what Paul did there? Instead of just focusing on what disappointed him, he kind of shifted his attention. He looked to the Lord. He considered who God was and what God had promised he called to mind how during his imprisonment, God stood by him and God strengthened him and God brought about his kingdom purposes. And then he actually expressed his confidence that God will will ultimately rescue him. He'll bring him out of every evil. So so these are words of faith from Paul. And it's these kind of words that that we want to have as well. Uh, Because Paul deliberately and willingly took hold of God's truth, didn't go down the path of over-disappointment. Um, and so that's how we guard our hearts. That's how we fight against the over-disappointment. Yes, repentance. Yes, worship. But also grow in faith. So in some ways, we just want to do what Paul did here. Um, we may walk through with the Lord, these things are disappointing me. Um, I felt deserted. I was alone. No one was there. And yet, or but, Lord, you are this, or you've Promise me this, or I have this in you, right? Essentially, pick up that shield of faith like Paul did. Um, recall God's truths, rehearse God's truths, believe God's truths. Um, that's how you fend off and fight against over disappointment. That's how you do it by faith. Um, and so your your scripture is a uh, just a wealth of resources for you in that. Right? Every promise. Uh, belongs to you in Christ. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Him. Uh, What's of most value can never be taken away from you. Um, He's always with you, right? There's just promise after promise after promise that is so encouraging and that will help us to to fight against over disappointments and to really even avoid it in the first place. Amen? Amen. So... Lots more, guys, I could share on this topic. <clears throat> but um, I had a time limit, so hopefully I, hopefully I stayed within it, kind of, sort of. Um, so <clears throat> let me do this to kind of finish my time. Uh, let me share a couple things. <clears throat> so if you are interested in reading some more about disappointments, I would recommend this book. I don't think I put it on your, your handout. It's called Dealing with Disappointment. It's where I got the title from. Uh, by John Hindley. It's from Good Book Publishers. And it's really, really good. Um, there's, there's very few books that like, I've read so much that like pages kind of you know, come out of it. This is one of those. So highly recommend that. Wanted to mention that to you. Um, also, uh, you probably know that one of my prayers for this church is that we would just all grow in um, our ability to speak the truth and love to one another. We all grow to kind of help each other informally uh, during the hard times um, and, and minister God's truth. But we do recognize that sometimes uh, troubles get really complex and knots get really wound tight. And it's for those situations we do have a, a lay counseling team here at the church. Some of you may be aware of that. Some of you may not be. Um, just a godly group of about 15 individuals um, who meet with people all throughout the week, every week of the year. Um, they're trained, they're equipped, uh, they love the Lord, and we've seen some really, really encouraging uh, just transformation and change uh, happen uh, through that ministry. And so there's an FAQ uh, on your handout there, and you can kind of look at that. But the, um, I, I guess a couple quick highlights. This is for members and regular attenders of the North Campus. It's free, right? It's one of our favorite words, it's free, you like that. Um, And there's lots of areas that we're we're able to help in. Um, If there's an area where we're not currently equipped um, or gifted or skilled in that area, then we'll let you know. So I would just say if you have a request or if there's something that we can help you out with, uh, fill out the form, we'll get back to you. And if for some reason we can't help you, then we'll make sure to get you connected uh, with someone who can. Also information on there about um, some uh, counseling one another seminars if you're coming up in the fall. Uh, we don't have registration open yet, but uh, if you want to save the dates, either of those topics look uh, interesting to you, Wanted you to have that to consider. And then um, I think that's it. I think that's it. So my time is definitely up. So how about I pray for you? and then I think there's like 15-20 minutes of group time. There are some discussion questions. Uh, you won't be able to get through all of them, but maybe you can at least try to tackle the first couple. And um, yeah. So I'll, I'll pray, and then break up into groups here. Father, thank you for this time. <clears throat> thank you for being a God who uh, welcomes um, the disappointed. And Lord, all of us at some point have and will be disappointed because we live in a very broken world, and we feel the effects of it constantly so thank you that you welcome uh, disappointed people to come to you and that you have hope and help to give and Lord I pray that you would guard our hearts against over disappointment help us to see it for what it is help us to see it as bad fruit um, that we want to change with your help and by your grace um, and, and Lord I, I pray um, that as we continue to think about this you would you would help us to be hopeful. Help us to remember that one day, disappointment's going to be done with. Um, this won't even be a topic for discussion. Uh, we look forward to the day when your son returns and everything is set right and there's no more weeping or pain or suffering or loss or grief or disappointment. Uh, but until that day, Lord, help us to look to you and be faithful in how we handle our disappointment. We love you, Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' great name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Young Adult Ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church, North Campus, in Moundsview, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Adults.